Sometimes when we look at Scripture, we put the cast of characters of all the people we've read about side by side, and we forget that the Bible is a book that was written over many millennia by different culture groups and different languages, put together by some professionals and some amateurs. But it was all God-breathed. I'm amazed when I listen to Simon Peter speak because I remember this is a fisherman. Uh, this is not a theologian. Yet the truth he speaks is so powerful and so useful. The passage we looked at last week, he reached back 500 years to grab the words of the prophet Joel. and How powerful they were. And now he's reaching back a thousand years hard to imagine that there was a thousand year gap between King David and Simon Peter, but there was. And he goes back and he looks at that, and if this sermon, as we call it, uh, the Simon Peter's Pentecost sermon, was used by God to birth the church, and yet he grabs so many needful passages here, and he's going back to a very particular one about King David. If you want to find the understanding of resurrection, you'll find it in the Old Testament. But it's referred to in very unusual uh, situations. Job, in, in, in an environment where he was considering death because of his illness and his sickness, everything that mattered to him was gone. And he suddenly, blissfully, looked into he the heavens and could see resurrection and understood it. Only in that environment, in that context, did it make sense. And here, David, in a very similar situation, only one of his own making, looks back and understands the coming of a Messiah that would come, live, die, and be resurrected again just for him. This is so powerful and so important. You know, it, it's amazing there are 300 verses found in Scripture that talks about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Very plainly, it talks about that resurrection is assigned to unbelievers as well as to believers to answer our doubts and our concerns about, is God able to change the situation that we're in? And here the point Peter's making for us from the 16th Psalm is, God is a God who reaches His people in all situations in all conditions, in every need. He doesn't abandon us. He doesn't leave us wondering. Now, granted, He will not tell us exactly what He's going to do. That's really none of our business. If we trust Him, He'll guide us. And He'll take us to the place in which we need to arrive perfectly at the right time and in the right way. But that trust is so magnificent and so powerful. David foresaw Jesus saying all these things to us. He heard that in a realistic way. And I want to think about that today for a little bit. The first thing I want you to realize is resurrection was a concept that didn't exist in, in that time. Theologically, it was not something that was ever discussed. If you remember, there was a group of people during Jesus' time, the Sadducees, that didn't believe in resurrection. They said that there was scant evidence that it could ever happen, and the few references you find in the Old Testament were meaningless. Well, I strongly disagree with that. 
I think that mankind just did not have the ability to understand what God would do for them if they would trust him. I remind you that in 2 Samuel 12, we get the story of David. David decided during a time of weakness and immorality in his own life to take literally his bodyguard, his personal bodyguard's wife, produced a child with her, took her away from him, sent that bodyguard, Uriah the Hittite, out into the, 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 the front lines of battle, and he was killed. It always amazed me how unwise David could be and how wise at other times he could be. He took the man that had protected his life for some time and had him killed just to get his wife. And then upon taking her and claiming her, which he could as king, but not according to God's word, he took her and then God said, you will not keep this child that you produced. The child is mine. You know the story, David went in and he prayed and he fasted for seven days that the child would be healed. And on the seventh day, the child died. And those who worked in the palace were so terrified of David, they did not want to go and tell him that the child had died. And when they walked in and he looked at them, he knew what had happened. They were afraid that he and, and would be vindictive in some way and would attack them or destroy everyone there. But he didn't do that. He went in and he washed himself, he changed clothes, he ate, and he went into the house of the Lord and worshipped God. He made one of the greatest statements in, in, in his whole life when he did that. When he recognized that that child was gone. And he knew that. And he told those standing before him, he said, he can't come back to me. That child can't come back to me, but I can go to him. Sometimes when we're at our weakest, God will reveal his truths to us if we're listening. If we're willing to abide with him and allow him to speak, we can be changed. Faith and trust always rest upon Jesus Christ as our Savior doesn't rest upon us. Our faith does not change us. It's the object of our faith that will change us. And sometimes we forget that. David was very human, just like all of us. Yet God loved him and worked through him. God was willing to teach him to teach others. And he gave him one of the most powerful truths right here. He let him know what resurrection was. In a time of his despondency and his sadness over losing this child and knowing the sin that was involved there and the disobedience, yet God knew that, that David loved this child and cared about this child. And through his humanity, yet there was something divine about that love. And he gave him that truth. You'll see this child again. You've not lost this child. That was a thousand years before Jesus came to earth. God gave him a peace about that. I stood in the household of some neighbors that lived directly behind my church in Atlanta one day. Two old maid sisters had lived there together all their lives. They were the last heirs of the estate of Samuel F.B. Mars. They had lived off of that estate sumptuously for many years in a beautiful English half-timber uh, half mansion 
that was built in Druid Hills, they had had a good life. One of the sisters had died, the stronger one. Betty Ely was a woman who loved the Lord, but her sister Evelyn had never really embraced God fully. Their church did not give them a lot of theology to believe in, and, and they were frustrated, and, 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 and Evelyn didn't know what to believe. And she looked me in the eye as I sat there in her living room as she cried and wept over the loss of her sister, and she said, you know, I'll never see her again. And I said, yes, you will. I said, your sister loved the Lord dearly. And she went to be with him, and she said, no, you don't understand. When you're dead, you're dead. I said, Evelyn, I dispute that based upon thousands of years of history of people who've trusted in God. And I said, you don't have to be angry with God because your sister went before you. You need to come to know the God that embraced her and took her safely home. It was sad, the struggle that that sister went through. She was an educator for 46 years in public schools in Atlanta. She was loved by so many people, but somehow in her heart, she never found a place for God because she never discovered that she was a sinner and needed to be saved by grace. Before she died three years later, I, I was called to her bedside by one of her nephews and he said, please pray with her and see if she will embrace Jesus. And though her voice was weak, and it trembled, I prayed the sinner's prayer with her, and she repeated each word after me. And I said, Evelyn, please don't step over that threshold until you know for certain that Jesus is on the other side waiting for you. He loves you. Sometimes we get in life's struggles and we forget who God is. That He is greater than we are. That He does not come like Superman to deliver us from our problems. No, His salvation is greater than that. What good would it be if you lived a, a wealthy, prosperous life with no problems and no difficulties, and yet you died and, and you stepped into hell? What good would life be? What shall it profit a man if he gained the whole world and yet lose his own soul? You see, Jesus didn't die to make life easier for us day by day. No, he, what he does is he says, I will make life perfect for you in eternity. But since you were born into a broken world, and you did the breaking. I will not hold you accountable for that if you accept my gift of salvation. But I will use the sadness and the frustration and the difficulty and the pains of life to make you into the person you need to be for eternity. And I will cause you to be the blessing that you would desire to be for others. That's so hard for some people to understand. That God isn't waiting there just to sprinkle stardust on everything we ask for. He's not going to be like the image of Santa Claus that we have. No. God doesn't work on a temporal basis. He works on an eternal basis. And therefore, we go through struggles and sadnesses. And if we're willing to allow Him to work in a heart, we'll change and we'll become more like Him. 
Christians who follow him and trust him may go through sadnesses in life and sufferings. Yet those things tend to temper within them a faith that is real and a love that is genuine. And that's what we see in the life of David. And that's what so compelled Simon Peter. Secondly, I want you to realize this. While we have life, there is an opportunity to apprehend that which is eternal. Life closes that door when life ends for the individual. Just last week, I stood here over a casket again just before me. Kevin Edwards went home to be with the Lord. It was a long battle with cancer. He struggled greatly. He had three beautiful reasons not to give up in his children. But cancer many times takes away what we would like to do. But what cancer didn't remove from Kevin Edwards was his joy in life because he still loved those that God had blessed him with. And it didn't take away his hope for heaven. He held on to God's Word. I I preached his funeral out of his Bible. I read through it before the service, and, and I was so touched with the passages he marked, passages about hope and encouragement, passages about not giving up. He was 56 years old. It seems too young to die, doesn't it? But while we're down here struggling in this world, he's in heaven with Jesus. So how can we really feel badly about that? He made a decision when he had an opportunity, when he was young. And he lived out his life for Christ. And he told his children, he told his oldest daughter just before he died, he said, said, I am not sad, I'm not upset. He said, I'm joyful. And I'm ready. I don't know how God gives us a window to see into eternity sometimes. and I do know there's such a thing as dying grace that we experience. God gives us sometimes gifts that are very precious. I know this. His daughter spent three days and nights with him. Trying to comfort her dad through his sadness and his sickness. and He held on for her. And just as she got to the weakest point and said, I just, I can't do anymore. I need to go home and rest. When she walked out the door, he closed his eyes and he stepped into heaven. And I told her, I think one of the things he asked God was, please don't let my children see me die. I don't want them to suffer in that. And God gave him that wish. And he wafted his way to heaven. While they were asleep. God works that way. But you must decide while you're alive. Don't lose the opportunity to serve others. Don't lose the opportunity to share with those you love who Jesus is. Peter makes it clear here that David was talking about himself and others. David knew that that the Messiah would come and would sit on the throne. His throne. He was delighted about that. With all of his weakness and all of his frailty, he knew that there was a Messiah coming that was greater than any kingdom in this world. And he knew that that Messiah would lift him up from the grave and give him hope. Lastly, I want you to realize this. 
by His resurrection, Jesus gave us victory over death. We don't have to fear death. We don't have to be afraid of the grave. We don't have to run from what is there. People are terrified of death. I've seen people literally tremble at the thought of it. Never even mention it. Certainly not want to look at someone that had died. To think that somehow, some way, it's not coming. And yet it's coming for all of us. I believe some people believe in, in the, 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 the rapture of the church for one reason, because they don't want to die. But the reality is, we're going to die unless Jesus returns. Jesus went into the grave, but he didn't stay there because we don't have to fear the grave because he came out of the grave. It did not hold him. It did not keep him. Jesus accomplished something that we could never claim on our own. We could never earn. I love what it says here because it, it uses the terms for Jesus and it calls him Lord. And I love that because that means he's the ruler of all things. He's not just our Messiah in that he has a relationship with us. He saved us, but he is over all things, meaning that he will have victory one day over every situation. We pray and we ask God to work on our behalf when there are struggles and storms in our life, when we're facing an inevitable that we're not really prepared for and we don't know how to deal with. Yet when we pray in that way, we don't say, God, you've got to give me this. If I don't have this, my life is ended and I will ignore you. No, we don't say that. We pray, if it is your will. And then when he doesn't give us what we desire, we know that there's something better. There's a reason and a purpose in what he does. As I said before, Simon Peter was a fisherman. Not a well-educated man, but he understood Scripture. He had heard it before. He no doubt had been to, to the temple. Scripture was shared. He had memorized it. He understood that God loved him. But he wasn't a theologian. Sometimes theologians miss it. And today, many of them have missed it. Most denominations have become organizations that are supposed to help people and lift them up and dust them off and make their life better. Yet there's nothing of the noumena or the spiritual relationship that we have with God. I'm here to tell you, you have a relationship with a God that made you and made this world and has plans for you if you'll listen. And I say this with an abundance of kindness. Please hear me. He doesn't need your advice about what he wants to do with you. I spent many years trying to advise God about where I should go in life. And you know, he didn't listen to a thing I said, and I'm so glad. He loves us so much that he listens as if you're asking a three-year-old, tell me, what do you want to do for the rest of your life? Three-year-olds don't know what they want to do for the rest of the day. Well, for that matter, some of us adults don't know either. But the reality is God has a plan for us that's greater than anything we could desire or we could devise. And we've got to trust Him. You don't have to trust Him for forever. You have to trust Him for today. You give Him your heart for the forever. 
and you trust him today and understand that he loves you. This is a message that David gave. David, a man who spent much of his early life laying on the side of a hill watching after sheep. A responsibility that doesn't seem very serious until you realize that every apex predator in the Middle East loved to eat sheep. And it was his job to protect them. He was a warrior and a fighter. He took on a giant that thousands of soldiers trembled as they heard his voice. But he wasn't afraid because he was in tune with the voice of God. And God sent him out there. And as I've told you before, he didn't go out there to kill Goliath. He picked up five smooth stones out of a brook. Because Goliath had four brothers. He didn't go out there to kill a giant. He went out there to eliminate a dynasty. Because he did not want his Lord to be ridiculed and criticized by a pagan. He wanted to show who God really was. And he did. Yet just like us, we stand sometimes strong and bold and we have our moments, our 15 minutes of fame, and then we fall and falter and fail. But God has not given up on us. Nor did he give up on David. The promises of God given to David on that hillside as a young boy stayed with him for the rest of his life. And he failed miserably, yet... He was a man whose heart was after God. Don't judge your failures as a standard of who you are. Realize that Jesus died to forgive you of your sins, to make you one who loves Him dearly. God wants to work through us in a mighty way. We're in a dark world. It's time to let the brightness of Christ shine through us. Are you willing to do that, church? That's what this is all about. Will we be a church that God will bless? We will be if we'll shine before others. Many people will leave church, not just this church, but their church, and they'll go home and they'll go away from everything they've heard and they'll forget about it. They'll have pleasant thoughts and they'll see friends and they'll say, oh, church was good today. And some people mean the service was short. Some people will mean it was pleasant. Some people will mean I got to sit with my friends. Who knows? But they'll walk away and forget everything that's said there. And yet you're walking into a world that is full of apex predators. Satan is not alone working in this world. He has many, many demons and minions that work for him. And they're preparing a way to snare you this week. Are you willing to fight? Are you willing to claim even now that you will have life and abundance from Christ and you'll hold on to these truths and you'll never falter or look away? It's your opportunity. Are you willing to do it? I pray that in this time of prayer and commitment, that will be the decision that you make. Let us pray. Father, I thank you so much that your holy word speaks to us in terms of love, but also in strength. That sometimes your truth is abrasive. It goes against what we're feeling. 
Yet it's not about feelings that bring us here. It's about your truth that will transform us. Father, I pray that you'd speak to someone this morning who's struggling with faith in you. Possibly they're, they're like my friend Evelyn. And they just think when you die, you die. They've not embraced the true and living Christ. They don't understand that he's desiring right now to have a relationship with him. And I pray, Lord, that, that you would speak to that individual even this very moment. They may be wrestling with, with the idea of forgiveness in their own sins. But this, in this moment, God wants to change their life forever. May they hear Him. And Lord, if there's someone here this morning that, that needs to be recommitted to You or come and join this church, they've stood, they've stood back at a distance for a while and yet they realize it's time. May Your Holy Spirit guide them even now. As we sing this invitation hymn, it is an opportunity for individuals to come close to you, Lord. And I pray that they will, even now. Lord, pray this in your holy name, Lord. Amen.